0: If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 8, once again. Romans, chapter 8. This chapter is um, truly one of the uh, highlights of all of Scripture, as it uh, sets before us um, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, uh, testifies to God's plan for us, uh, for knowing us, and uh, calling us, and justifying us, and of course, uh, we have the prospect of his glorifying us as well, and uh, testimony uh, to his love for us, and asks the question later in the chapter, what shall separate us from the love of God? And, of course, the resounding answer is nothing at all, right? Nothing at all. In circumstance or a persons, powers of whatever sort, nothing uh, can separate us from his love. And really, um, that is uh, the, the, the wonder of the gospel, that he loves us. Uh, we, in our sin, Right in our sinfulness, um, our rebellion against him, our turning aside from him, and yet he loved us. And he took the initiative to provide for our salvation and then uh, to draw us unto himself. So what a great God. And uh, that which he has done uh, is a finished work in one sense, Christ died once for all, and no more sacrifice for sin is necessary. Uh, He triumphed over death, and uh, we need not fear it any longer, right? And so in a sense, it's finished, right? Truly, when he hung on the cross, he cried, it is finished, and it was. And yet, in a practical sense for us, um We are, we who have responded to the gospel, have begun uh, a walk with the Lord that has a destination, that has a goal. That goal is uh, summed up in the word glorification. And uh, this chapter, as I mentioned, does talk about that. But between the point of our salvation and the point of our glorification. Uh, the Lord intends, it's very clear from Scripture, He intends that there would be a uh, transformation that is taking place in our lives. The, the result of the transformation one day will be a likeness to Him in terms of our righteousness and the absence of sin in our character, our thinking, our speaking, our doing, entirely Gone. That's the goal. That's where we're going to end up. And from where we were when we were saved, and the moment before you were saved, you had zero righteousness. Right? We had only unrighteousness. And so then when we're saved, the Holy Spirit now comes to dwell within us, and that Holy Spirit of God began that transformation work. We call that sanctification, right this uh, uh, progress toward christ likeness, and that is what the first part of this chapter really uh, sets before us is uh, that we have uh, we are, have an obligation as those who have been made alive by the Spirit of God, as those who have been adopted as children of God, by that Spirit. We've received a Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so we have an obligation to that Spirit to pursue uh, this uh, sanctifying work, to walk in the Spirit, and not to walk in the flesh any longer. And um, so the prospect of our inheritance uh, is set before us as that which would uh, encourage us to that end. Uh, we've been studying that. Uh, if you notice, um, well, let's start at verse uh, thirteen or verse twelve, actually. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to li- not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits For the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creature or creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. Of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So uh, we have then that testimony about our inheritance and the glory which shall be revealed in us, and we've uh, carried that. Uh, on a little search throughout the scripture to flesh that out. And then uh, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comes back. And again, for our encouragement in this walking in the Spirit, for our encouragement along this road to becoming more and more like Christ, uh, this transformational work, our encouragement, uh, he reminds us of creation itself. Right? And so we look around us and we see in creation itself uh, the effects of the fall. But what's remarkable is that this passage is one of the... Cl- I mean, there are other passages as well, but this is one of the clearest passages that talks about the fact that God is also, <clears throat> in providing redemption, he's not just redeeming humanity who believes in him, but he's actually also going to redeem uh, creation, right? So deliver creation from the effects of the fall. And so it's very interesting how uh, really the testimony of creation uh, is given to us to encourage our persevering in hope. And so the title that I've given to this morning's message is Saved in Hope. And it brings this very interesting aspect to our salvation or of our salvation to our attention and really would encourage us in it. And that is this matter of hoping. Of course, that's tied to our inheritance because what we're hoping for is that inheritance. We're hoping for that glorification. We're hoping for the redemption of these bodies that are so much affected by uh, the curse of sin, right, and the fall, um, and we that's what we're hoping for, and that is uh, really a, a, an integral part of the gospel, the good news, right, there is something after this life, right, there is something after this life, and it is a glorious hope. So, what is interesting is, uh, again, in transitioning to this subject of hope, uh, we have uh, the mention of suffering. Uh, verse 17 talked about it. If we suffer with him, we may so that we may be also glorified together. And then verse 18, I reckon, I count it so. Right? This is a conscious thought process of mine, is what he's saying that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then it talks about this expectation of creation. And it even talks uh, later in verse 22 that the whole of creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And, And literally, the words that are used there are words used to describe childbirth, right, and uh something that uh, we men folk have never experienced except vicariously, um, but uh, you, you ladies who have given birth to children at that hour, you're suffering right there's I mean the word pain is there for a reason. Right? Now, there is that pain associated with that childbirth, and so there is this picture of suffering, right? And even as it described creation there in verse 22, notice again we know this is this is we know this that the whole creation groans and prevails in pain together until now right right up to the present time this isn't just in the past right this is right now and so what's interesting is this this idea of pain and suffering is kind of like a given he doesn't even have to argue for it right he just says we know right and again in verse 18 When he talks about suffering, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, right? This is the present reality. There are these sufferings that take place, right? And so uh, it's very interesting just the the matter-of-fact kind of way uh, that that truth is commented on, right? He doesn't argue for it. He doesn't really elaborate on it. It's just a given, and uh truly who would argue with him oh no suffering what are you talking about right and again there are different kinds of suffering yes for sure right there's there's literal persecution right and swords and pain of death and so on that some have experienced we may not have experienced that kind of suffering but in terms of suffering, whether it's, we talked about this, even the, the putting to death of my old man, right? There is a battle that goes on and mortifying on a spiritual level. There is suffering on that level, if nothing else. But beyond that, from the effects of the fall, we suffer. Right? Our body gets beat up. Right, and you get blisters, and you get bruises, and you get sore backs, and you get, you know, diseases, and sometimes these things are very, very significant. Right, we've got a brother in the hospital right now because of the effects of the fall. He's suffering. Right, and uh, all of us, to one degree or another, suffer. Uh, you know, you think of your your own experience. And the pains and the sufferings that we have. Think of your loved ones, right, folks? You you don't have to go. I mean, beyond that, the things that we hear in the news, you know, earthquakes and the results of earthquakes, for example, or the war over in in Eastern Europe and so on, right? I mean, there's 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 suffering all around us. Right? And what is interesting here is that. There there are various causes for that suffering. Some of it is just, this is just life, right? As human beings in a fallen world, right? This is just part of life, okay? So the physical illness and those kinds of things, uh, it's part of life in a fallen world. When people sin against us, that's part of life in a fallen world. Uh, as followers of Christ, we have another element to that suffering. And that is, Because the world hates him, if we will follow him, what we are going to find is that it's going to hate us also, right? And so that adds, I mean, that too is an effect of the fall, right? If there had been no fall, we would love him. All of Adam's descendants would have loved him, right? uh so so that too their hatred of him is an effect of the fall so ultimately it all comes back to the effect of the fall but we as followers of Christ right will expect in will rightly expect in addition to all of those other kind of ordinary bits of suffering that fall to everyone we have this too that there is that animosity uh, against God, and if we are followers of God, uh, that animosity will, on occasion, and to one degree or another, greater or less, be directed against us. Right? And so it is, that's sort of the ground that is just assumed in this passage in Romans. It does not elaborate on it to a great degree, that element of suffering. I do want to go to one other passage that will Give us a little more uh, information about that. Again, a familiar passage. Keep your finger in Romans, but let's go to First Peter chapter 4. This book of First Peter um, really has, as one of its uh, main themes, um, the encouragement of believers who are suffering. And it really is. There are some really, really good things in this. We already actually looked at verse 1 when we were talking about our inheritance because right off the gate, not verse 1, but chapter 1, right off the gate, he talks about our inheritance, right? To encourage those uh, that are suffering. But here in chapter 4, notice uh, starting at verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange... Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. So again, notice suffering followed by glory. Right, And what's interesting is that this is mentioned as Christ's sufferings. And again, it's not it's not that we enter, you know, his suffering was a suffering, I mean, many facets to his suffering, right? One of the facets was when he was made to be sin for us, right? When he became an offering for sin and the suffering that he had there. Obviously, we do not suffer in that way because we are not an offering for sin. But when you think of how they hated him, I think that's the point that is being made here, right? And if we are followers of his, servant is not greater than the master. If they hate the master, they're going to hate the servants, right? And so that I think is the sense in which we are partaking of Christ's sufferings. It's as followers of Christ uh, that we partake Notice how he continues, verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, right, for your identification with Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he, Christ, is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But... Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so, here is a very important distinction, right? And this is mentioned actually earlier in the in the book as well, uh, chapter two. He talks about this as well, right? So the idea is. We don't want to be found in a position where we are suffering because we are sinners, right? Murderer, thief, evildoer, busy sinner, right? We don't want to be found, you know, bringing suffering to us, right? Having suffering as the consequence of our own personal sin. Right That's not what we want to have as our experience, right, and the scripture would obviously very much direct us away from that we are We are to turn from sin, we are to confess it and forsake it, right, and follow God pursuing righteousness right so so very important qualification because you could suffer as a sinner, uh, but we are not to do that. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, right? so it's because I'm a Christian, it's because I'm following Christ, let us glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls unto him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. In other words, here you are, you're following Christ. Is that the will of God or not? Absolutely, it's the will of God. You're pursuing sanctification. Is that the will of God or not? Absolutely, it's the will of God. Would you perhaps suffer on that path? Or even because of that you're on that path? Absolutely, that's the whole point. Right? So if we suffer in that way, uh, we are to commit the keeping of our souls unto him. In well-doing, in other words, in keeping on doing that very thing that we're doing, right? That following of God in his will. And we do so as unto a faithful creator, knowing that the day is coming, right? And he will fulfill all of his word to us. He will fulfill all of his promises to us. Is it possible, does the Lord have the ability to keep all of his children from suffering? literally, truly, from suffering, does he have the ability so that we would not suffer any more period? Yes. And that's exactly what's going to happen one day, right? But in the meantime, God, in His wisdom, allows His children. To experience in this present time suffering, that He allows that does not mean that He does not love you, right? Where our mind might go with that? Oh, I, I'm His children, supposedly. I'm His child, supposedly, right? According to the promise of, of Scripture and so on, well, if I am his child, why then does he allow this suffering? Why does he allow the hardship? Why does he allow the persecution? I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to stand for righteousness. against th- Why the tribulation and persecution? Right? That's where our flesh, our mind, would often want to go. And this chapter really attempts to address all of that, this 8th chapter of Romans. right? So let's go back to Romans 8. So First uh, Peter 4 there uh, talks about and acknowledges this presence of suffering, even especially for Christ's sake, suffering as a Christian, not as an evildoer, but as a Christian. And so uh, two folks who have that as their present experience. Our mind is directed to the effects of the fall, even on creation around us, and the expectation of creation. And so in Romans 8, he, and this is in support of the fact that whatever your present sufferings are, Right? And it's just assumed, it's acknowledged, it's taken for granted that there are going to be present sufferings. Whatever those sufferings are, however hard or bad they get, right? and they do, for some of us, they do get really, really hard and really, really difficult. Right? The scripture does not in any way pretend that that is not the case. But it will always call us to look ahead. Right? To look ahead. Because when you look ahead, and you look ahead at what's coming, and you put the present awfulness in the context of what's coming... That's when he says, you make a comparison between the present awfulness and what's coming, and the present awfulness is not worthy to be compared, right? It's not even on the charts, right? It is is going, folks, listen, his assurance to us is that all of the yuck, technical term, Right? All of the yuck, truly, and i 'm not trying to minimize it in any way, but all all of the awful effects of sin, direct and indirect that we experience living on a fallen world, right all of that is one day going to fade into nothing in our minds right i mean it's just going to it's just going to be. It's going to be so diminished. It's going to be so not on our radar, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's going away, right? It's going away. And the Lord would encourage us with that prospect. And the way He does this then is to point out that even creation itself, uh, notice how it's put in verse 19, the earnest expectation of, it, King James says, the creature. The idea is this is creation, right? So we're talking other than human beings. And so uh, even the inanimate world around us, right? He's saying that there's an expectation uh, for creation waiting for the manifestation, the revelation of the sons of God. And the idea is, it's like uh, John writes in First uh, John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but he writes, beloved, now are we the sons of God. But it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Right? That hasn't been revealed yet. Right? fully. Uh, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. Right. So Romans 8, 19, uh, the earnest ex- expectation of creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Right? So there is coming this revelation of the sons of God in our glory, which is his glory, which we share with him. Right? And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Creation, we are told, has an earnest expectation of that. It is waiting eagerly for that. And what is very interesting is this compounding of terms here in verse 19. You have this phrase, earnest expectation. That translates one word uh, in the Greek. And uh, one dictionary defines that w- phrase this way, or the underlying word, that which one looks forward to with eagerness and desire. Okay, and then you have the second term, uh, creation waits for and that is a term uh, many translations add the word eagerly in there so wait eagerly for this and again one dictionary defines it to uh, to await eagerly or expectantly for some future event all right so there's this there's this awaiting this uh, expectant awaiting and when you put the two words together that first phrase earnest expectation uh one uh, writer comments this way in romans 8:19 this term earnest expectation serves in some respects to reinforce the meaning of that other term the waiting eagerly for right so so you've got doubling up of these terms and the very fact that they've they're doubled up is for emphasis and for reinforcement. But then he goes on and says, but it, this first phrase, earnest expectation, appears to add a significant component of desire. Right. So it's not just that I'm expecting something. It's not just that I'm waiting expectantly for something. But I really want this. Right? That's the idea. OK. So by the doubling up of the terms, the putting the two of them together, you know, there is this expectation. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting expectantly and I really, really, really do want it. Right. There are some times, you know, like when your mom said to you, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> right if your mom ever said that to you um you know you're, you're you're really that's you're really you're waiting and you're expecting but you're not desiring right i mean it's like you just not that you really didn't want him to come home but you know in some ways you didn't want him to come home because you knew what you were going to get right uh, when he came home well that's the exact opposite of this right so this you're really wanting it right you're waiting for you're expecting and oh even so come lord jesus is is the idea right but that this verse is not talking about christians it's it's using that kind of language about creation isn't that interesting right Folks, the way the world is right now, that's not the way God intended it to be. It really isn't. Okay, now we have a son that has been visiting for a little bit and uh he's trying to make sorry these guys he's looking at me what are you going to say about me? <laughs> okay you're you ought to be glad that you're not part of my family <laughs> okay Roger's nodding his head <laughs> okay all right so um he's you know home with us for about 2 weeks and even though it's kind of winter uh he's trying to make up for all of the the hiking that we didn't do uh, as a family when he's growing up, right? Uh, We didn't do it. It's just like, you know, I'm working and then you got to study. And it's just, I mean, we did a very tiny bit, but really a very tiny bit. And there have been several of our children that have commented on the very tiny bit. And so anyway, Taylor's home, not that he's done it in a bad way at all, but uh, he's been trying to make up for that, right? So he's hiking there and hiking there, and he's drugged some of you along with him and all of that. And, and uh, you know, so it's, it's just this, you know, trying to make up for. But as he's doing that, right, and I think one of the comments he made is, you know, you're out really enjoying the beauty of God's creation, Right? And, and there is, right? There really, and especially where we live, right? I mean, you can, you can go up, you can go low, you can, right? There's just so much variety. Uh, Find dead things on the beach, you know, even my wife did the other day walking with Rachel. So, uh, anyway, so there's just so much variety and so much to see and to, to experience and, and really, as a believer, the testimony to our Creator on every hand, right, is pretty amazing and uh you know the the panoramas the the colors right the smells and the sounds and the textures right and and i mean just all of the bits of creation that we can partake of i mean even in spite of the brokenness right and the fallenness there's still some pretty amazing stuff, right? And that's even with the effects of the fall. And so the testimony of Scripture is creation can't wait, right? It can hardly wait to be done with corruption, right? Look how the passage goes on. The creature, the creation, verse 20 was made subject to vanity, and there is this certain amount of vanity and futility, right? And you know, we read through the book of Ecclesiastes and the testimony to human experience under the sun. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. And on one level, that's absolutely the case. Right? Because, you know, strive as you might be as wise as you might, be as wealthy as you might, right? you're going to die. And you take nothing with you. Vanity. There is this futility. And all of creation, in a sense, is made subject to this same vanity and futility. Not willingly... And I think the implication is not that creation has a will as such, but it's, there's a personification here indicating that even creation would not have wanted this. Right? You know, if it could have had a voice, if it could have said, Do you want this or do you not want this? No, I don't want this. Right? So to us, the suffering. Of this present time? Do you want it? Or do you not want it? No. We don't want it. Right? We don't. Okay? So there is an echo of us in creation. Creation doesn't want it either. Right? But it goes on to say, it was subjected to this by reason of him who has subjected the same in whole. So this is of course is all God's doing that's the hymn that is being spoken of here God has made it this way but he has done it all the while in hope right in hope of what well verse 21 the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, right? So verse 19 is very parallel to this. Creation waits for the manifestation, the revelation of the sons of God. Verse 21, it will be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God, right? So this is really remarkable testimony. Creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. It's the effects of the fall. It's the effects of sin. That one word. I mean, there are many words that can describe it. But but that is one of the words, right? And think of that word. The corruption, right? Moth and wrath, moth and rust doth corrupt, right? I think I was talking with Roger or somebody about um, our house or something, and his or you know just houses and. Moth and rust doth corrupt, right? Broken seals, I think it was on our windows or something, right? And and you know, it's just you don't have to do anything. It just it does that. You just leave it for for a while. It's going to crumble, right? You go over to Europe, and uh, you you know they build. John would love it over there, right? They build with rock and you know that that kind of stuff but you go and you look at those things and you wait long enough and even those rock edifices crumble right the effects of wind and weather and earthquakes and what they crumble right moth and rust doth corrupt that is the effect of the fall right and what's interesting the language here it's the, this bondage of corruption there's a slavery here there's an enslavement here there is there is that which prevents escape, right? You're bound to this. Creation is bound to this. If creation wanted to escape, it couldn't escape, right? Apart from God's redemption. Just like us, right? So there's a parallel between creation and us. And that's why I think the Holy Spirit is bringing this whole perspective of creation into, or to set it before our minds, right? Because you can find a parallel to your experience in the general experience of creation. And what God's word to us is, all of it, he intends to redeem. All of it, he intends to redeem, right? So we will be redeemed who have put our trust in Christ And the creation around us is going to be redeemed. And if you think about it, that's good, right? Because how could we continue to live in a fallen world that was subject to corruption? Right? Because you've got all of those effects of the fall still. And they would sometimes affect us. I mean, your house would fall down maybe or whatever. You with me? Okay, so he is going to redeem it. And that is what is set before us here. A glorious truth. And of course, you can find this uh, in other places uh, in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament prophets will talk about uh, the effects of uh, redemption. Um, you know, a, a, a lion lying down with a lamb. Little children leading about these, what are now, you know, vicious wild animals and so on. Uh, Playing on a snake's den and no fear and all of those things, right? Uh, That is part of God's plan for redemption, right? And so this is set before us for our encouragement. And the passage then in verse 23 brings us into the picture again. Not only they... But ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so what's interesting here is you might say, well, wait a minute, I thought we were adopted. I mean, didn't it say, you know, back up in verse 15 that we were given... Not the spirit of bondage, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and the Spirit's bearing witness that we're his children. I thought we were adopted. Why are we waiting for the adoption? Well, we are adopted. And that's why he says, even in verse 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That spirit of adoption is dwelling within us. But folks, we're not done. Right, and that's why we say yes. There is a finished aspect to our salvation, but there's an unfinished aspect. We are not yet glorified. We will be, right? We will stand fully like Christ, right? And that's what First um, John was saying, right? We know that when He shall appear, we will be like Him. Right? It's all in the context of behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Right? Uh, it is a testimony to his love and it is uh, calls us to look forward uh, to what lies before us. This redemption of our body. Or, as 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, it is sown in Corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body, as it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening. A life-giving spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. For as we have borne the image of the earthy in all of its corruption, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is, this kind of flesh and blood. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Those that slept, right? They will be raised incorruptible. And we, if we're alive, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, when this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death. Is swallowed up in victory, right? We have the foreshadowing of that. There is one who is the firstborn from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already put on in corruption, and we will be made like unto His glorious body. Oh death, Where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so that is the idea. Right, This corruption must put on incorruption because in the kingdom of God, no corruption. Not for you as a human being and not for the world that you're living in. Hey, are you with me? There, no corruption. Okay? And that's why the present suffering all traced back to the effects of the fall. All summarized in that one word, corruption. Right? One way or another. It's all going to be gone. And we will be. Redeemed, We will be glorified. And so verse 24, we are saved then by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience or perseverance wait for it. And again, that waiting is the same waiting eagerly for it, right? That creation was doing. Creation was waiting eagerly for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so we too are waiting eagerly, right? So we have this really remarkable, remarkable picture, right? Calling us in the midst of present suffering, from whatever the cause, right? to rise above it, in a sense, because of our hope, because what we're look what we are looking forward to, right? because of God's promise that this corruption will be swallowed up in incorruption. One last reference, Second Corinthians chapter four. So, what the scriptures are trying to set before our minds as we follow Christ in this life, as we pursue sanctification, and we find that even the pursuing of that sanctification, right, trying to live a godly life, actually can make it harder for us, right, because of the hatred of the world against Christ, right? So, what this Holy Spirit is endeavoring to do is to set before our minds this incredible picture, right, that not just we ourselves, but all of creation is going to be delivered from the effects of sin. All of it. And in that then we are to hope. In that we are to encourage ourselves. In that we are to have uh, that which would be for us, in the language of Hebrews chapter 6, a strong consolation an anchor for our souls right this hope that we have and here in second corinthians chapter 4 i want you to notice the parallel between this passage and what we've read in this section in in romans 8 okay so i'm just going to remind you very briefly about romans 8 right he talked about Uh, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He talks about creation expecting this revelation. He talks about we ourselves groaning within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our bodies. And with this hope, we persevere. All right? Now, let's look at... 2 Corinthians starting in uh, chapter 4 and verse 16. For which cause we faint not. We don't faint. We persevere. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen." There at the end of uh, the section in Romans 8 is talking about our hope, right? You, You hope for things that you don't see yet. If you see them, you don't hope for them, right? And so here he's saying, we're looking at things that are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We are hoping for the eternal things. We are waiting expectantly for the eternal things. And that, that then causes, you know, this light affliction or this present affliction to be viewed as a light affliction, right? That which is eternal is coming. And we are looking at that with the eye of faith, obviously. But let's uh, keep going. Chapter 5. For we know. That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And folks there, it's not talking about a house house. It's talking about a body. It's using that as figurative language. right? We're in a tabernacle. What's a tabernacle? It's a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. If this earthly tabernacle were dissolved. We have a building of God, not a tent, a building of God eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed We shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now let's pause for a minute. What's very interesting there, folks is it's a testimony to what you should be looking at. Even a lost person... Okay, are you listening? Even a lost person can earnestly desire... To be unclothed, meaning I've got this broken body and it hurts all the time. And all I can do is blink my eyes, maybe. And they earnestly desire. Folks, that's why we have medical assistance in dying. Because in their mind, it is so bad, I just want out of here. Unfortunately, the second they're out of here, it just got worse for all of eternity. In the end, though, they're looking at the wrong thing they're looking at the corruption they're looking at how bad it is and they just they groan and they want out of here for a christian it ought to be very different we're not denying the reality of the corruption We're not denying the reality of the suffering. We're not denying the hardship of life for you as it is right now in this present time. We're not denying any of that. But don't look at that, my Christian friend. Don't focus your mind and attention on your trouble, my Christian friend. That's going away. It's only for a very, very, relatively speaking, short time. It is truly, in the end, you will say, if you are a child of God, one day you will say, that was light affliction. Look at the glory to be revealed. Look at the eternal things. The desire ought to be to be clothed upon. Right? That's what he's saying. You know, the desire isn't just, oh, I just gotta get out of here. Right? You're focusing on the wrong thing. Focus on that. Oh, I've just got to get there. That's, I mean, folks, in a way it's the same thing, two sides of the same coin, kind of. But it really, really puts it it puts a totally different perspective on it. Right? Because That perspective fuels hope. You focus on the corruption, what do you get? Despair. Right? Despair. No. We are saved by hope. Truly, we are saved by hope. Right? We have this hope. Now notice the next verse. Now he that wrought Us, for the self, same thing is God. Right? He knows all about your present suffering. He knows all about your present difficulty. He made you. And He allowed this all in His wisdom and providence to come to pass. But He did not intend it for your destruction. He intended it to open your eyes more to Him and to His glory and to what it is that awaits you, right? And he intended it to put in your mind and in your thinking all the more appreciation for the salvation that he has provided for you and that one day will be yours in full, right? Because God cannot lie, and he has promised it to those who put their trust in him, right? Oh, And he's also given you his spirit. You see how this goes? He that has wrought us for this self same thing is God who also has given unto us the earnest, the down payment of the spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it was put this way. We which have the first fruits of the spirit groan in ourselves waiting for that adoption. Right? And so it comes around full circle, right? Here we have the Spirit of God bearing witness to our spirits. We are the children of God and God is intent upon redeeming us and all of the corruption is going to be gone one day. So cheer, my comrade. Cheer, my friend. Right? Cheer! Right? Even in the midst of this present suffering, suffering's real. Right? I am so sorry and we pray for one another. Do we not? We ought to. We ought to pray for one another because the burden is great. But we have a hope. right? And we are, in a sense, saved by hope. That is one way of putting it. We are saved by hope. And so we have the Lord coming alongside of us and saying, If we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience or endurance hope for it. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience, same word, endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. So may the Lord help us to hope. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know our affliction. And Lord as much as we know about one another and some of the circumstances that each of us are facing, you are the only one that truly knows our affliction individually. But you do know, Lord. And you do love us even in that affliction And it is your intent in dealing with your children, Lord, that we would, in the midst of that affliction, look with the eye of faith unto you. And so, Lord, we pray your gracious help. We pray, Lord, your Spirit's working, witnessing to our spirits, turning our mind to the promises of God. Lord, help us to lay hold by faith of these things, And may our eye look forward, Lord. May it look beyond today. May it look beyond the present suffering. May we understand the love of God for us and what you have prepared for us. And may it encourage our hearts as we labor here below in the midst of corruption. Help us, O God. Lord, please, would you renew that inner man For those whose outer man is perishing, Lord, help. Be merciful and gracious. Strengthen our brothers and sisters, Lord. And help us all, Lord, to persevere in hope that which lies before. In Jesus' name, amen.